Hello, Florida Bar members and Florida registered paralegals. This is a quick reminder from the Standing Committee on Mental Health and Wellness of Florida Lawyers that you are approved to use the Florida Lawyers Helpline, a completely free and confidential around-the-clock helpline designed to support you in managing the challenges of both your personal and professional life. By dialing 833-FL1-WELL or 833-351-9355, you can connect with mental health professionals who are ready to assist you. Take advantage of up to five complimentary in-person or telehealth counseling sessions annually. And remember, there's no limit to the number of calls you can make. Reach out today. You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel. Produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbrey. I'm the director of the Practice Resource Center and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our studio in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm Jamie Moore. I'm a practice management advisor at the Florida Bar and co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So regardless of practice area, attorneys handle and store a large volume of confidential information that can make them very attractive targets for hackers. Small firms can be particularly at risk because they're less likely to employ full-time IT staff. Cybersecurity can absolutely feel like an overwhelming topic, but there are actionable steps that a small firm can implement to build data protection and prevent some security breaches. So joining us today to discuss cybersecurity dangers and legal technology software is Sharon Nelson, President of Sensei Enterprises, and John Simic, Vice President of Sensei Enterprises Incorporated. Sensei Enterprises is a nationally known digital forensics managed information technology provider and managed cybersecurity firm in Fairfax, Virginia. Sharon D. Nelson, Esquire, is the author of the noted electronic evidence blog, Ride the Lightning, and is a co-host of the Legal Talk Network podcast series called The Digital Edge, Lawyers and Technology, as well as Digital Detectives. She is a frequent author and speaker on legal technology, cybersecurity, and electronic evidence topics. She was the president of the Virginia State Bar from June 2013 through June 2014 and a past president of the Fairfax Law Foundation and the Fairfax Bar Foundation. John Simic has a national reputation as a digital forensics technologist and has testified as an expert witness throughout the United States. He holds a degree in engineering from the United States Merchant Marine Academy and an MBA in finance from St. Joseph's University. John holds the prestigious Certified Information Systems Security Professional Certification and the Certified Ethical Hacker Certification in addition to multiple other technical certifications. He is a past chair of the ABA Tech Show and a co-host of the Legal Talk Network podcast, Digital Detectives. He is a frequent author and speaker on legal technology, cybersecurity, and electronic evidence topics. Welcome to the show, Sharon and John. Well, thank you very much. Yes, thank you much. So Sharon and John, we're very excited to talk to you today, and we're going to be talking a lot about uh, the last version of your book, which you just let us know may be the last ever version of your book, because, 
So I'm sad to hear that, but we are going to, and I still think it's an excellent reference. So I, I do want to talk about it because we've been getting them every year and you're so generous with the information. If somebody knew nothing, they could pick up this slim volume and become um, competent enough if, you know, as an attorney. So the book we're referring to is the 2020 Solo and Small Firm Legal Tech Guide, as it addresses so many important security topics. And it's great that you are specific to solo and small firms, because those are the people that we help, and they're the ones that need the most help with all of this. So I want to start with, just tell us, what is the bare minimum that a solo attorney who may not be tech savvy, what can they do right now to protect their practice and client data? And well, we, we were looking at each other because it's kind of hard to, know who to, to speak to that one. Um, it, it, there are well, that's things, a mouthful to that question. Yeah, it is. There, there's a lot packed in there. There, there yeah. are some things that um, uh, did not used to be considered something that solo and smalls have to do. But mm -hmm. these days, I'll start with the thing they have to do the quickest, and that's to make sure that they have enabled uh, multiple factor authentication, often called two factor authentication anywhere and everywhere they can. It's uh, it's frequently, almost always free. Um, and I know that a lot of solo smalls consider that a, uh, a nuisance, and it is, but it is a nuisance to which one quickly gets um, used to over time. And besides that, uh, it does stop over 99% of all attacks um, that would employ uh, the, the way of getting credentials and so forth. So it's a, it, it's a no brainer that you have to do it. And in all likelihood, your cyber insurance provider will mandate that you have it uh, these days. So, and, and I think these days also, you know, what is ethically required changes? And it's usually defined by the word reasonable. Well, what's mm -hmm. reasonable today is uh, multi-factor authentication. Um, John, would you like to talk about uh, endpoint detection and response? Yeah, that's that's another thing I think that, especially today for the solo small market, well, actually anybody um, should be deploying um, some EDR, XDR type solution. Um, different companies call it different things. They uh, EDR is endpoint detection and response, but it's, think of it as, uh, you know, everyone should have the security suites you know, on their machines. So mm -hmm. some sort of the, you no longer have the individual, you know, antivirus and you didn't have to purchase a second product of malware detection, not a third one for firewalls. Mm -hmm. Everything's bundled on all rolled together today. And they have all of those, those things, the anti-phishing, all that stuff in together. So as a minimum, the security, you know, suite needs to be on there. And, and something that I think that, that you should purchase and subscribe to and, and, you know, pick your flavor, whichever, you know, whether you're a semantic fan or a McAfee or, a, you know, a Webroot or, you know, whoever, uh, you know, have some sort of security suite. But the next generation of those security suites is what's called the EDR, the endpoint detection response. So it's a little more, you know, think of it as, as like security suites on steroids, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's much more intelligent, you know. We, we the big buzzword in you know since probably 2000 2010 has been artificial intelligence, and that's what these EDR solutions use. They use AI. They use machine learning. They have heuristics. They're not really signature based. They're they're more behavioral based. So you know what is the normal operation? What does your computer normally do? And when something happens outside of that, what does it normally do? Then the solution takes action. And that action could be um, something, you know, as, as 
so severe as to automatically disconnect the device from the network. You know, if you're on a Wi-Fi, you're a solo law firm and you've got a machine and you get a ransomware attack, as an example, and encryption starts to happen, the EDR solution is going to look at that and potentially say, whoa, this is not a good thing. You're on the Wi-Fi, it's trying to spread out to other things, and it's going to shut you down. <laughs> um, wow. wow. It, it'll it'll quarantine things. And, oh, yeah, it's it's and, – and the reason we've talked about, you know, EDR and Sharon and I have talked about it for, you know, God, over five years now or better, and it continues to, to evolve, to mature, but it is a very, very affordable solution for solo smalls. You know, just like a lot of the technologies when they first came out, uh, you know, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention systems were thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, kind of out of the reach that gets to what Sharon was talking about, the, the reasonableness. Yeah. Um, and if you like, I mean, we, we can identify the products that we are currently using with solo and small firms, understanding we get nothing for it of any kind, shape or form. Um, it's just these are the ones after years of study. Um, these are the ones that we think are right. the best. Is, is that OK to do? Yeah. Absolutely, because that's what I like so much about your instruction. You guys have culled through the million <laughs> things that overwhelm an attorney. And so a lot of times, you know, it's it's the analysis paralysis. There's too many choices. They don't want to deal with it. Um, so absolutely tell it. We want to talk a lot more about suites. But can I want to, I want to take a step back just for a moment for sure. the attorneys that are freaking out because we've already lost them. Okay, so we want to talk about <laughs> the ones that are still running Microsoft Windows 7. They're not doing the patches. Let's start at that point. Like their computer. Well, that, that, that's their, not reasonable. Ooh. <laughs> you, can, you cannot do legal work on an unsupported system, one that is not receiving security patches. That's flatly and, and seven unethical. Seven is not. Yeah. Seven is yeah. not. It's done. So anytime, but that goes for everything they're running. If mm -hmm. you've got something that's unsupported, out of support, not getting those security patches, you can't use it anymore. <laughs> well, well I, and, and I've seen attorneys do this. When it pops up, it wants to do an update, and they just say, update later, update later. Tell those attorneys <laughs> why they can't keep doing that. Uh, because it does not conform to ethical rules. I mean, well, that's, you, that's yeah, one. <laughs> that, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't, if you're not getting security patches, you're leaving a hole for the cyber criminals to drive through. And it, it's a very, uh, it's very simple to do upgrades. I know attorneys hate upgrades because something changes and they hate change and they can't find a button they used to know where it was. And they're all mad about it. Exactly. Um, and and we, we deal with that constantly, but you know, you, I, I think we have bred into our, our clientele and we have hundreds of clients and we, they all know that when we tell them they have no choice, that this is what they must do. Mm -hmm. They are pretty good about doing it. Um, and a couple of times <laughs> when we started saying that 2FA was mandatory, we had two clients who got hit after we told them it was mandatory. Well, they came crawling back <laughs> and, and said, yeah, you guys were right. It was dangerous. Now, they were lucky. We got there in time. We were able to salvage the situation, but they might not have been lucky. Um, so, you know, none, nonetheless, they understood from that point forward they needed to use well, 2FA. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell another story too, Sharon. Like, like, like last, last week, we had a client that, you know, and this has to go to 2FA. I mean, one of, one of their employees, their email was compromised. Uh, their account was compromised. And so they sent out from that email address an invoice uh, to, to a customer, um, an improper invoice, you know, to ask for payment. Well, the recipient of that, that email with the invoice had a little, you know, smarts and said, whoa, this doesn't look normal or whatever. And they made a phone call, which is good. Right. Um, so when they, when they contacted us and says, well, geez, you know, cause we, 
and as Sharon said, we'd tell them, do 2FA, 2FA. They came back and says, well, is there any other alternative to, to using 2FA? We don't, we don't want to do it. And, and, our, and our CEO basically quickly says, well, yeah, there's an alternative. You can continue to get hacked. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it becomes second nature because like, you know, I hope that everyone who has an app on their phone where they're banking on their phone has 2FA turned on because my husband hates all of that. And I'm like, he's like, why should I do this? And I'm like, well, only if you want to keep our money. So right. I mean, like, you have to like, um, so, okay. So we, we've covered that. And I love this. Like some attorneys, their laptops still weigh 10 pounds. And so you're really, it's very kind of you. You have, I'm not going to give it out right now. We're going to put some links at the end, but you literally will say, email us and we can give you just some basic guidelines. Like, cause they don't even want to go purchase the new like you said, the buttons will be in a different place and they're all very concerned, <laughs> but you guys just make it very simple. So I, I love that. So that is a basic update your hardware, do your patches. So now, okay, <laughs> now let's talk about why internet security suites are the only way to go versus the standalone products for targeted protection, because this is where their, their eyes start to glaze over. So you need um, antivirus, you need all those things. Talk and specifically tell them what are some good products. Um, you know, any any of the major manufacturers, uh, we're big fans. We like WebRoot. Uh, that's what we use mm -hmm. um, for folks. And and I will put the big caveat in here now, since I'm sure there are pro folks that are out there. And, and if you look at the book, you'll you'll see that we in the past used to recommend Kaspersky. And, mm. and it's a, an excellent product, you know, really good. Well, given the current world situation and, you know, and all that stuff that's going on, we just can't we can't recommend that that product anymore being Russian based. Right. Um, and, and it's not just that there are other companies that are, that are foreign based that we don't recommend. Um, you know, that you, you know, the world situation is different. We really don't know, you know, what the heck's happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a semantic shop, if you're a McAfee shop, if you know any of that, that's fine. Uh, you know, you're using it across multiple, multiple devices. I would not recommend any of the free ones. You know, dig into your pocket, spend the, you know, 20, 30 bucks a year, whatever it costs, which is not a lot of money uh, to one of the supported, you know, paid versions. Um, and but I don't even know. I don't even think you can buy a standalone, you know, product anymore. They're they're all sweets as far as I know. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's still some bad ones out there. So, yeah. yeah. I like <laughs> and so you also write that even with security suites, ransomware, so that's a, a yep. big buzzy thing right now, uh, continues to bypass these security solutions. And I, you know, I ran law firms and I know that the weakest link is the humans, not the actual, you know, you can put in everything in place, but it's, it's the human that's going to click on that link. Can you talk about what attorneys should do to avoid inadvertently downloading malware. Can you talk about, you know, penetration testing? I love uh, training the people. Tra training the employees is probably the most important thing you can do because they are the weakest link. They're involved one way or another in, you know, 80 odd percent of all attacks, usually because they've clicked on something. Um, so they're the danger. So have a training session. They're not necessarily very expensive. And, and um, you know, I... We would, we would love to train any of your people, but I say this only so that they know how cheap it can be. We do the training sessions for an hour for $500, which almost wow. any law firm can afford. 
um, and, and, you know, take the questions and so forth. Uh, but if they see the actual examples of what phishing emails look like and, and how the cyber criminals are proceeding with them, then they have a better uh, chance of, of recognizing it. Uh, and we talk about other things. You know, we talk about the fact that uh, there are some people who will just call up on the phone and they will ask you uh, for information like, you know, who, who authorizes transfers of money, wire funds, you know, that's oh. a big thing too. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of training that they need and, and we can't go through all of it here, but there is mm -hmm. a ton of training in an hour that you can get in that will really reduce your risk. Um, and, and the employees need that training at least once a year um, mm -hmm. because people forget and there are new threats, there are new defenses. So you want to go through that on a regular basis. And by all means, whoever's giving you the training, ask them uh, for it to be recorded so that you can use it for incoming employees or for anyone who might have been sick that day and, and couldn't attend. Uh, and then you've got that for another year. So you will also find those cyber insurance companies demanding that you have that training. Right. At least once a year. But but Christina, I, th I also want to mention, though, that you talked about ransomware. That's one of the things that the that sort of popped up this whole EDR you know, mm -hmm. movement, uh, that endpoint detection response, uh, was to target the, the ransomware and to help prevent those things. That's what it watches for those, that encryption. Um, we happen to use a product called Sentinel one, uh, which is, you know, very affordable for the solo small market. Uh, it also works in conjunction with what's called a SOC and SOC, a security operations center, which are human beings. So as an example, when it comes to ransomware, if your machine starts to get infected, starts to get encrypted, et cetera, the, the EDR then will kill that process, stop it. Um, but because it's working with the SOC and it also quarantines this information, it has the ability to roll you back to a known good state. So the, the SOC operator will look at that and say, oh, yeah, that definitely was ransomware. Well, let's put the machine back to the way it was three minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And then before the ransomware hit <laughs> and you're good yeah. to go. I mean, yeah. it's magic. It really is magic. Um, <laughs> so at least that's ha it, it's happy magic for our clients. They they don't see it as science. We see it as science. They're, oh, yeah. they're perfectly content with happy magic. <laughs> yeah. A way back machine that you get a you get a do over. Exactly. Which is exactly. Beautiful. <laughs> but you what get about a, you get a do over? <laughs> so but but what about. The backup, do you still need to, because it's one of, backups yeah. are one of those things everyone has the best intentions about. And I literally, we at the uh, Practice Resource Center, we attend all of our um, technology committee meetings for the Board of Governors and the Standing Committee. And we had an attorney say that they had a full-time IT staff person. They were doing everything right, mid-sized firm, and they got hit with ransomware and they found out that their IT person, that their backup was on the same server as, you know, <laughs> so they, it, it did them no good and they had no idea. They thought they had done everything right. Well, that that's why you have to engineer your backups to be ransomware resistant, if okay. you will. You yes. know, multi multiple copies, offsite, disconnected. I and mean, we had, there, there, we've seen experiences where someone had a cloud backup solution and when their network got infiltrated and the ransomware got triggered off, guess what? The cyber criminals, uh, oh, and by the way, they also stored the cloud backup credentials, right? The user ID and the password in clear text oh. on, on their server. So when they got infected, the criminals knew what that was. And what did they do? 
they mm. went to the cloud and they blew away all their backups. <laughs> wow. Um, so it's, 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 you need to make sure that you're engineered correctly and that you have multiple of these things all over the place, um, to, and, and to minimize the impact. And that's one reason why you do need not so much for the small firms. We don't really recommend penetration testing. It's very expensive, but okay. the security assessments are, yes. are very critical. Uh, and those you can get somebody to do a flat fee price, which will include the actual assessment and a report, um, uh, at least our flat fees do. We give the report so that they can see the uh, most significant, the real the critical, critical vulnerabilities, then the moderate ones, and then the little ones. And then okay. you can do attack the critical ones first. Um, and then we also would put an estimate together so that they could see what that cost would be so that the cost is at least known to them. Um, and, and in all the times we've done security assessments, guys, it's amazing. Only one time in all of these years did we find somebody without a critical vulnerability? Just one time. <laughs> did you give them a trophy? <laughs> I could have if I would have. It's, it's a lawyer who attends uh, ABA Tech Show all the time, and oh, it's wow. very, it is very, very, very tech savvy. He's yeah. a very tech savvy guy, which doesn't apply to most lawyers. Um, right. So that that's part of the reason why. But that that is really a critical thing is to get that security assessment that mm -hmm. they can afford. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, speaking of the cloud, um, <laughs> I'd like to ask you, what should attorneys consider um, when moving information to the cloud and how can they make sure they are complying with ethical requirements when storing that information, that confidential information in the cloud? I guess I'll, I'll start with the technology and I'll let Sharon talk to the ethics. Well, maybe okay. we should do that in reverse because they need to know <laughs> what they're required to do by ethics and then they'll want to listen to you. So let's do that. Um, <laughs> okay, overruled. <laughs> overruled. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's okay. It's okay. You know, we are married, so we're allowed to keep <laughs> on them. Um, so basically, he here are the rules that govern them. You have to be competent with technology, which means you have to try to understand it. Very hard. You got to find people that can explain it to you. And, but, you know, I understand a lot of people do do that. They try to go to CLEs. They try to read on their own. And that's all good. There's a lot of good resources out there. The best government resource is called CISA, C-I-S-A. It's a part of uh, Homeland Security. And all, all that your stuff there that you learn is good, it's free, and it's written in English. So there is no better <laughs> source than that one. Rule 1 1.4 is communications. So you have to, uh, if you're having a problem, and an issue with confidentiality, which is rule 1.6. You got to talk to your client about it. Rule 1.6 requires all this cybersecurity stuff that they're listening to that they're going, oh no, oh no, and it's going to be expensive <laughs> and I hate this stuff. Um, rule uh, 5.1 and 5.3, supervision of both your lawyers and then your uh, non-lawyer assistants. And that includes, by the way, non-lawyer assistants includes AI. And the standard that governs oh. all of this is what is reasonable. And and you cannot throw down your cards and say, um, I'm too small. I'm not going to do it. Now, having said that, John, you, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everybody needs to consider, you know, moving to the cloud and, and you know, no matter what the size firm, uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, primary reason, a uh, couple of the primary reasons, uh, flexibility, uh, it's secure. I mean, let's face it, the, the cloud providers are employing full-time security professionals. That's all they do, 
right? They make sure that they're updated, that they're patched, that they're that they're they've uh, engineered their system such that they're going to minimize any you know impact from any any attack, you know, et cetera. Uh, attorneys aren't doing that, even if they have a technologist, you know, on their staff. They just can't afford to to have someone that is strictly a security professional, you know, with certifications, training, all that stuff. Cost wise, it's a lot more efficient. You know, everyone's going to to the cloud, and that's and they should be. Um, you can basically practice from anywhere. It doesn't matter. So now, you know, if you have a disaster, you know, whether that's a natural disaster or a cyber attack kind of a disaster, whatever, you've got a lot of options when, when you're out there in the cloud. Um, some of the things that, that the attorneys need to pay attention to is the terms of service. You know, what is the cloud provider uh, do, giving you for your money? I know lawyers hate to read those terms of service. They just go and click, I accept, I accept, I accept, uh, even to the point where they accept giving up their firstborn. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, you need to understand what is the provider doing? And therefore, if there's any shortfalls, what do you need to do, you know, as, as, an, as an attorney? And if you have a managed IT provider, which even a lot of small solo and smalls do, yeah. I mean, I can't think how many of our clients are solo and small firm lawyers. It's a ton. Um, you know, that they can help you. you. You don't have to be the ones to go through right. that. If you don't understand it and you hate doing it, let, let your managed service provider do it. That's what they're for. Uh, and then, then there won't be mistakes made. And misunderstandings. But, but, but I think a key, uh, a key provision is who can access the data. Uh, because we, we hear about these data breaches, et cetera, and we hear about the cloud and, and how, you know, folks, they, they've been compromised, you know, et cetera, you know, whatever. Well, it's not the cloud that's the problem. You know, you talked earlier, it's the people. <laughs> they've misconfigured mm -hmm. something. They've allowed access. They've got very, very weak passwords. They didn't turn on MFA or, you know, things like that. Um, and the clouds have themselves been responsible yeah. some of the time, but the ma vast majority, majority of time is, yeah. is misconfiguration by the end user. Oh, that's good to know for sure. <laughs> and and that kind of, um, you know, goes into my next question of, you know, you're, you, you mentioned everyone should be moving to the cloud because you can work from anywhere. And that's something that we are getting a lot of questions to our department is, I want to set up a remote office. What should I do? What are some helpful tips? And in your book, you listed uh, many um, helpful tips for setting up, a, uh, setting up a remote office. And one thing that stood out to me is when you're traveling abroad, um, you noted that it's important to travel with a burner phone versus your you know, your regular phone and also bringing a clean tablet and laptops versus your, you know, your work phone or your, your work laptop. Can you speak more about that? Well, for those that don't know, a burner phone is basically a prepaid phone. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a, um, so it's, you, you buy the minutes ahead of time. Um, it, it, it's disposable. It's throwaway. It's, it, it's what a lot of the criminals use, frankly. <laughs> um, but, you know, when we mention that in the book, what we're really talking about is international travel into, into some, some parts of the world where, you know, <clears throat> privacy and access, et cetera, um, you know, is, is uh, difficult for the lawyers to, to maintain. Uh, the governments are, are quote, spying because once you're connecting up to that, that government network, they're watching that traffic. And so hence the burner phones, hence the clean laptops um, so that you're not doing anything um, that where they potentially could intercept and, and gain access to. 
Most of that would not apply to the solo small no. lawyers. Mm-hmm. It is a policy at the larger firms, um, and and that's that's a whole different audience with a whole different set of requirements. Yeah. Tra- traveling in general, though, I think, you know, you need to be aware of, um, you know, the security issues, uh, particularly network access, um, is that, you know, using the Starbucks Wi-Fi uh, is probably not a really good idea because it is an open network. You don't know who else is sitting there in that that parking lot or in that 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 particular, you know, whether it's McDonald's, Starbucks or whoever it is, right, that has the Wi-Fi. And are they capturing the information that you're sending? Um, and so, you know, using a hotspot's a better solution uh, where it's just you. Uh, and not shared with somebody else, you know, sending the data and making sure that it's encrypted, that you are, in fact, using an encrypted connection. Um, that's very important, uh, not just in traveling, but also for your your home, home office, home environment you know, and the home, well. in the home environment. You want to make sure that um, all of the machines used at home for legal purposes, um, they, they should all uh, be business class machines, but they should be owned by the law firm um, and managed by the law firm. Right. No personal devices should be holding this kind of data that that includes, you know, personal cell phones as well. Um, they, they should have their own phone from the firm. And, and that's something that they're still getting used to post-COVID is that the personal devices were greatly in use, by, especially by solo and small firms right. uh, in the early days. Uh, at this point, I think we've basically transferred everybody over to machines now that uh, is controlled by, by us uh, effectively as the managed service provider for our clients. Uh, and that is much more secure, much safer. So that's, that's the best option. Get rid of those personal devices. And I know many solo smalls have not. Okay. Well, I mean, and you just touched on, you know, connecting to that free Wi-Fi, say at Starbucks. But what about when, um, you know, you're traveling to like conventions or just staying in a hotel? Is that something that you should be concerned about? I mean, or what what do you think about that? Um, Yes, especially if I'm going to be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ethical hacker. Right. <laughs> yes, Scott has fun demonstrating uh, what can go wrong when the when someone's watching you. <laughs> but the, seriously, the short answer is yes. You know, you, okay. you need to be concerned about it. Um, I, I don't connect, frankly, to, to any of those things. Uh, mm-hmm. I use my own, you know, network, uh, and and anything that is sent across them is is always encrypted. Uh, you know, whether it's using a virtual private network or whether it's using, you know, secure encrypted communications, you know, any kind. Um, so, so yes, you know, go traveling to conferences, et cetera. Well, I know the temptation's there. It's convenience. It's and just it's like, offered as a free, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. here, connect to our free Wi-Fi, you know, yeah. as part of the convention. So, well, I, yeah, I, it, I, you, you talked about ABA Tech Show, and I think, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but I, I just, I still laugh to this day, uh, um, uh, Courtney uh, from South South, yeah. uh, South Carolina, oh, yeah. one of your one of your PMA buds, um, when she was in the audience, and I had the the uh, uh, the the Wi-Fi pineapple up there, and I captured mm-hmm. the thing, and I says, "Well, geez, I see Courtney's connected. Geez, thanks for playing." And she goes, oh. John, what? what did he, I was t- sitting beside her, and she grabs my arm and says, "Sharon, Sharon, what is John doing to my machine?" <laughs> I said, Courtney, he w- 
wouldn't hurt it. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> He's but, just showing you what you're doing wrong, dear. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely because convenience so often it's it's like the the easiest way to go. So like yes. people that don't like two factor authentication. So but now they're also using um, they you can open their phone with their fingerprint or facial recognition. And then this is the one that I love in their notes app. They've stored every password. For oh yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. clear text. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, let's talk about that. Um, why that's a bad idea, and what they should be doing instead of that. Well, they should be having a password manager, but I wouldn't recommend LastPass at this point. Uh, yes, yes. We, we took that. that one right off our list. <laughs> well, so that's that's the other problem with with having a print book, right? I mean, if if we recommended one thing, then then now it's like, oh darn, man, what now? <laughs> But how do you like I, I I'm just going to tell you, I don't use a password manager um, and I've you know, I always feel kind of like justified when one of those gets hacked. How do you know that it's safe? I mean, that it's it's such a vulnerability. It, it is. And it is hard to know what's safe. Um, I always tell people, take a look every year. PC Magazine publishes the list of 10 best password managers. Now, they, too, got caught with LastPass. Um, that just proves we're all human. Right. But mm -hmm. um, Dashlane is probably one that you can trust. Uh, that one, is a, one password is good, too. Yeah. Dashlane is is my number one. But that's yeah, yeah they're okay. both good. Um, and and they uh, they encrypt the passwords and they're segmented and they're in different places. I mean, you can never just get to the password. It's okay. it's architected so that they can't do that. Um, so that would be a couple of good suggestions. The ones John made and the ones I made, and that that makes sense. And whatever you do, don't store your passwords in the damn browser. <laughs> that is just oh. crazy. Oh, or on a post-it under your. Yes. Your keyboard. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's classic. I bet if we walked into 10 law firms, we would find some post-its underneath Oh, you there. will. Um, okay. So let's talk about whole disk encryption. Uh, can you explain to our listeners what it is and what's the best way to get it set up? Whole disk encryption is, you know, that's encrypting the entire drive, the entire physical drive. Um, and I like that because you don't have to think, essentially. If you store anything on that device... It's encrypted. It's protected. Um, if you you have the option of you know en encrypting individual files or or setting up uh, folders, et cetera, that are encrypted. But if you forget to put something in there, then it's at risk. Um, and it's so much easier to do the the, the whole disk, you know, as well. Now, having said that, um, a couple of uh, things for for especially for your your listening audience. If you are a, uh, a Windows user, a Windows 10 or 11 professional, you know, not the home version, but the professional version, uh, BitLocker is included for free within the operating system. That will, in fact, encrypt the entire whole disk for you. No additional charge. Now, it's not enabled by default. You have to turn it on. Um, if you go to YouTube and do a search, how do I enable BitLocker, you know, in Windows 11, it'll, I'm, I guarantee you somebody has, you know, gone through or multiple somebody's have re recorded something to, to give you that, how to do that. If you're a Mac user, an Apple user, Mac OS includes FileVault. So FileVault, just like BitLocker, is included no additional charge as part of the operating system. But like BitLocker, it's also not enabled by def default. So you have to turn it on. So those are, are, you know, basically free. You know, that gets to the reasonable thing Sharon was talking about. Is free reasonable? I think so. Uh, but, but also external hard drives, USB hard drives, they in fact make 
Um, several manufacturers make external hard drives that encrypt the entire drive. So when you plug the USB in, you have to enter a password essentially to unlock it. When you unlock it, you are decrypting that, that hard drive. When you shut it down and disconnect it, the hardware automatically re-encrypts it and encrypts that drive. So those are some things I think that certainly every lawyer should have. And it's, and I want to just connect to something that Sharon said earlier, because when you have, you've lost your laptop, it was stolen and you didn't encrypt it. Now you've got to do the notification, the mandatory notification to all your clients that their information could be compromised and nobody wants to do that. In Florida, we have the safe harbor clause that if you've encrypted that laptop and it's stolen, you know, it's covered because those, you know, whoever sold, it's not going to be able to access uh, your files in that, in that computer. So I I think it's a, it's an important thing that Sharon is pointing out there. So it's motivation to, to actually do the thing, turn it well, off. You know, the I, other I, thing, I, there's one caveat though. I want to say to that. Okay. If, yeah, if, please. if you, and, and you're right, you know, if you're get out of jail free card, but <laughs> that it's only your encryption is only as good as your decryption passphrase. Okay. One, two, three, four is not a good password. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> even, though it's, even though it's encrypted, don't think you're bulletproof if you're using something like one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was going to add that for motivation purposes only, because I don't like to embarrass law firms, but last week we became aware that both Hall Booth and Troutman were compromised, mm-hmm. um, both distinguished firms. You know, if, if they can't protect themselves, the small and solo and small firm lawyer had better really think twice because uh, they're pouring a lot more money into it and still they, they're not getting protected. So, you know, the solo smalls need to do what they can do. Um, and, and I know you asked me about, uh, are you ever too small? And, and the, the answer is no. I mean, there are giant cartels that won't touch a solo small or so small law firm. Um, the, those ransomware people in the big cartels, that's not what they're interested in, but there are lots of ransomware cyber criminals and they're happy with, with a, a decent payday and mm-hmm. a small law firm can provide a decent payday. So it's one stop shopping. You get in there, you get a, the list of a whole number of uh, individual clients, corporate clients, whatever it is. Uh, and certainly it's a catastrophe to the law firm, even though it's a small one. And they are going to have to go through utter misery if, if they have to do all this stuff. So they are tending to pay the ransom much of the time. Um, so And realize, too, that those people, a lot of people want to avoid all the heat that comes from law enforcement, our government, et cetera, et cetera, when they attack major players. So what they're doing now is going from, you know, big game to what they call midsize game or small game, because you're less likely to really be pursued by the full force of our national wrath um, if you're going to the smaller game. But, it, but, yeah, that- but it's also, I think, dependent upon the, the, the value of your data. Right. And that's where we hear a lot about the, the solos that say, oh, no, no, no. You know, they're not I, I don't carry anything that's important or, you know, the, I, I don't do M&A or whatever. Well, yeah, but if you're a family law lawyer, holy exactly. moly, have you got exactly. valuable data? Yeah. <laughs> yes. All those financial disclosure forms. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. And if you if you have medical data, that's the most expensive data records there are. I mean, they, they easily mm-hmm. go from 250 to five hundred dollars um, per record. So, you know, that's that's a good payday for, for the bank. Bad guys. Well, very good. All right. My next question, and I could probably guess what you're <laughs> going to say, but I just want to ask this because we see this a lot. How do you feel 
about attorneys using free email services such as Hotmail, AOL, Yahoo, Gmail for work? And do you have any recommendations for uh, secure email vendors? Well, they don't look like they're a real law firm if they're using those. Yeah. Which is valid, very valid point. Right, mm-hmm. right. And just the security, too, of yes. signing up for free email. Yeah, you're, you're better off. I mean, let's face it. The subscriptions for, for paid email today are not a lot of money. Yeah. You know, I, we see, number one we see is is Microsoft 365, uh, you know, for email. And it's very, very affordable, even for the solo lawyer. Um, I would say, gosh, if I had to put a percentage, what, Sharon, 95 of better percent of our of clients, our clients yeah. Yeah, are all that's like where they are. 65, they you know, are. Google Workplace, you know, that's that's another good one, you know, it's et cetera. But but something certainly, you know, in 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 that arena, um, you know, it, like I said, it's it's very affordable. Buy your own domain name, you know, make yourself look professional, <laughs> those those kinds of things. We've become a more our consumers have become our clients have become more uh, discriminating uh, about that. Yeah, and and Sharon, so weigh in on the ethical reasons. I mean, I think we all know this, but um, I don't think it's hard to tell them if you are using free Gmail, your emails are being scanned. Don't you get all the ads? You know, and I don't think that they realize that. They think, well, it's safe enough, but. Um, can you just talk about the ethical side of that too? Well, since confidentiality, which I mentioned previously, <laughs> is one of the primary ethical considerations, I mean, you're you're not you you fail. That's a hashtag fail. So you you've got to you've got to come up with a solution. And really, what what most um what most of the solo and small firms lack and need <laughs> is to sit down with with an honest consultant who is you know somebody perhaps who's been recommended by a friend. That's the best you know that's usually the best who you know who who does somebody you trust use and and who would they recommend um and then sit down and go through the whole cybersecurity thing with them let them ask the questions that the cyber insurance companies are going to be asking and they'll tell you what's wrong with your answers and they'll tell you what you need to do and they'll put together a proposal for you to get you up to what is ethically required um and and you know arguing with them about what's ethically required really <laughs> is not in the best interest of the lawyer um especially if these are people who typically do law firms because they know the ethics. And, and right. so you want to be make sure you're following by what is today's standard. And today's standard will change tomorrow. And we know that. And everybody's going to have to learn about zero trust architecture because that's the next thing that's going to be what's reasonably required. You've got a year, <laughs> maybe two, to get to the point where it's ethically quiet, required, but not much, not a lot of time. And they're not even thinking about it for the most part at the solo small level. Well, good. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh no, zero trust. I know. Yeah, now, now their heads really exploded. <laughs> it, it basically means trust no one and or nothing, as, or nothing yeah. and okay. re, re make the them re um, authenticate, authenticate uh, on okay. a periodic basis. So it's like taking two FA, you know, up another level. Uh, but that's where we're going, and the reason is because we're all connected to so many places. It's not like just yeah. one thing. We're connected to our banks. We're connected to the stuff mm-hmm. in the cloud. We're connected to this, that, and the other thing. Uh, we, right. we're, our payroll is done electronically. We're connected to all these people. So we've mm-hmm. got to do something about this to control well, the, the danger. Basically, the perimeter model doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Right. The, the the machines, the people, they don't sit behind the wall of the law firm anymore. 
right? The, the hybrid workplace, the, the cloud usage, you need to find out and authenticate who's coming from where, who has access to the, you know, an authority to the data, you know, et cetera. Um, and the federal government has mandated that zero trust architecture be in place throughout the federal government by the end of 2024. That's going to become oh. the de facto standard for what's reasonable. That's why lawyers- We'll see if they make it. Well, <laughs> well there's that, but, but you get my point. We're not going to be able to ignore it and put our heads in the sand because it's going to be a de facto standard for for everybody and the insurance companies are going to be asking for it. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, in your book, I thought it was interesting that you noted that Microsoft doesn't see a need for password expiration if a password has never been stolen. So what are your thoughts on this policy that was released from Microsoft? Well, it's actually more than Microsoft. It's, um, who who is the government agency, Sharon, that, um, shoot, now I can't remember. But it's the same. It's the, the the same concept of if it hasn't been compromised, then there's no reason you know wish to change it. Because what's happened is that if we continue to require our employees and people to change their passwords, they're going to run into password fatigue, security fatigue, um, and it's going to encourage password reuse. It's going to encourage passwords that are easy for them to remember and not, you know, use password managers. So there's well, and the, whole fu- line, the future you know? is going passwordless. Passwordless. That's yeah. where we're headed now, but we're not there yet. So we're still dealing with passwords, and will be for several years to come. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even. Yeah, I, that I, was I news to me that. because, yeah. Well, like, yeah, I like Windows Hello as an example is passwordless. That's that's the movement towards that. You know, any of the facial recognition biometric things um, are, are heading that direction. Yeah, I just hate coming in on a Monday after a long holiday, and um, it's every you've been locked out of yeah. all of yours. <laughs> because, uh, so annoying. Okay, well, let's dig into the hot topic. Let's talk about Chat GPT. Uh, if you haven't heard of that, it's everywhere. It's taken the bar exam. It's out there writing briefs. Um, so, Sharon, tell us about the ethical or beneficial uses of of this. Well, you know, it's it's very interesting. I, I the answers change. <laughs> as, as you talk to chat GPT. So it's certainly learning um, and it's learning so, so quickly that, uh, and, and I've asked it about this and, and it says, yes, my answers do change from day to day, potentially. <laughs> um, so Wikipedia on steroids. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really is. So, you know, at, at one point it, it, it had one answer and I asked it this exact same question again. And, and it said that lawyers, that the first question was about lawyers and, and ethics, um, and it, it said that there was no ethical competence. Uh, the ethics rules didn't it didn't talk about them. It, it said that lawyers were under no legal obligation um, to be ethically uh, to be competent with their technology. Well, that of course was misleading, wrong, whatever you want to call it. So I asked it at, at the next day or the day after that, and now I got back. Somebody had obviously introduced. <laughs> Chat GPT to legal ethics, and now I got back. Legal ethics probably requires that they are t- are technologically competent with their technology. Um, so it, the answer had changed. So it's really it's very fascinating. It can do a ton of things. 
Um, I am really impressed by everything except its poetry. Um, <laughs> I think Emily Dickinson and, and Robert Frost can can stay, you know, they, they can be safe, lie safely and peacefully in their graves because uh, it's not coming anywhere close. But it can it can do all sorts of things. It, it, it can you're going to start getting resumes that were written by chat GPT. Um, all law firms are. That's what's going to happen to them. So that's one of the things to defend against. On the other hand, you're going to get great features like research, predictive analysis, which of course is already in place, and e-discovery. But now we're going to get um, AI-powered chatbots that are pretty good. Contract uh, analysis is looking very good. Cybersecurity, it's being used extensively. Uh, brief drafting, deposition questions, compliance issues, drafting documents, saying... I'm, one, one lawyer told me this anecdotal story that I thought was great. She said she had a very complicated situation that she needed to explain to a client and she wrote it all up and she said this client is never going to understand that. So basically she said to to chat GPT, can you rewrite this so that a fifth grader can understand it? <laughs> and, and doggone it, it, it did. It was really, wow. really good. And she was just so impressed with how this could help in her law practice. Um, so you're going to see a lot of people start to figure out marketing has already become big. And I know around here, we put some of our marketing, um, you know, the subject lines uh, and, mm -hmm. and the content, and we gave it to chat GPT, and it was better than we were. Plus, we got all the, data's about, uh, the data about what people click on. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. we're going we we're, we're to go yeah. you know, nutso with all of this. And I think it's going to be um, a boon to lawyers. But, of course, you also have to be careful. Uh, and lawyers worry a lot about you know these machines taking their jobs. And yes. it, it's pretty mm -hmm. clear because I've, I've extensively interviewed <laughs> the AI on this subject. Um, and it, it says that, you know, that it's not uh, ethical for it to provide legal advice at its not, at, because it's not a qualified legal professional. On the other mm -hmm. hand, it acknowledges that it will be a great boon to access to justice because it can help people with limited means um, know the answers to the questions that they often ask. So for instance, it would be giving legal advice about why you're having a problem, what you can do when you have an educational problem uh, with a school that won't provide you know, particular uh, conditions for your child who's autistic or something like that. Or it can tell talk to you about, you know, how to handle a, a traffic ticket. It, there, there are things it can certainly do. Now, can it do the complicated stuff? No. But you know what it says when it talks about that? He, it says, I'm not currently able to do that. And all I looked at was the word currently. <laughs> Each day. Yeah, because every day this thing is going to get smarter. And they haven't released yet all of the data uh, from after 2021, which was the last time chat GPT got data, um, but they oh. are going to release it. And, and then it's going to be even more amazing because it will be able to speak to current events. Um, but having a conversation with it, asking questions and reading its answers is really, really, really interesting. Wow. Oh, very good and scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I just want to change change gears a little bit. So I love all of the articles you read, and I can just spend forever reading them. Um, one in particular, uh, this article, it was on the danger of unstructured data in law firms. So I was hoping you could explain what is unstructured data and why it's important to have your unstructured data labeled in the event hackers compromise your network. 
Well, unstructured data basically is is data that um, isn't in some sort of a organized environment. Uh, it, think about databases. You know, databases are are structured. So the, before you can put something into that database, there are fields, there are rules. You know, this is a numeric, only numbers can go in there. This is an alpha and it's got to have so many, can only be so many characters long, things like that. So there's rules, if you will. Unstructured data, <clears throat> which is the vast majority of data is in fact unstructured, is not in an or stored in organized fashion. So email, as an example, text messages, I mean, it's data. But there are no, quote, rules to it. It's, it's all over the place. The other problem that you run into, especially when dealing with unstructured data, is a lot of folks don't even know what they don't have or what they have, right? <laughs> what the data is. Mm -hmm. So they don't know how to – if you don't know you have it, you don't know how to protect it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So mm – -hmm. uh, and that becomes very, very, you know, uh, problematic, you know, as well, we've become so good at generating so much information so quickly, you know, using computers, electronics, technology, um, but we're not very good at organizing it. <laughs> right. And and how how can someone get that organized? Because if they're like, okay, I, I want to look into this and they want help, how, how could they get that done for them? You know, the, the vast majority of folks are going to need to, you know, need help. They're going to need to have mm -hmm. somebody, some professional that's well-versed in doing all this stuff because the tools are, are different. The tools for, you know, practice A is going to be different than the tools for practice B. So you can't just walk down the aisle in Best Buy and, you know, and pick up a box and, and have it work for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's 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 going to be dependent on your practice, going to be dependent on the types of data you have, what you may already have in place. You know, certainly if you have a document management system, you've got a lot of organization already, you know, with okay. with your with your files. But does your document management system address the, the text messages on your phone? Probably not. No. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, are you communicating with clients using text messaging? God, I hope you're not, but what's, oh, what's but, some lawyers but, do? But you know what? These days, lawyers are becoming like doctors and dentists. They confirm all the appointments via text. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so we have to evolve. Is that part um, of the matter? <laughs> that data? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, is, is that a big deal to confirm an appointment? Yeah. But you know, there, there are cases, obviously, where it is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And some of that, I mean, I don't want to deep dive into this, but there are practice management software programs where you can do that because it could be yep. um, case-related data. So look into that if you are using texting. Yeah, don't let that just be out there. Um, your articles make us think of things that we had not considered. And another one that Jamie brought to my attention was, can marketing make your law firm vulnerable to cyber attacks? So what Tell us how it does. Like you talk about the right amount of information on your website and why is putting too much information on there making you more vulnerable? Well, you're just giving the information to cyber criminals because the whole point is that your website is public. So anybody can go uh, and take a look and they know the attorney's names. They maybe have the attorney's email. Uh, you know, they know the physical location. Um, you know, it, 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 I have seen people literally have cell phones on, on there, which 
which I think is a terrible idea to have those numbers on there. Um, they know perhaps who the managing partner is. Well, that's the person you want for wire fraud, right? So you, oh. you've told them all about mm-hmm. that. Um, so I, I, they, even if you're a small firm, I've seen small firms, they want to have the whole team on there. And that's not smart either because now they know who the office manager is and, and she or he is probably the one who's doing payroll, you know, payroll and yeah. things like that. They know who that mm-hmm. vulnerable checkpoint is. You shouldn't be putting that stuff on there. I mean, I, I know you want to honor the team, but this should be <laughs> just for the law office and the law lawyers in the firm, not maybe the whole team. Um, so there's just a lot of stuff that we didn't used to think of that we now need to think of. Uh, and and we give them so much information that we just make it easier and easier and easier for the bad guys to get through to us because of what we've got. On the other hand, I'm going to tell you that having your email address on there works for us and it works for the law firms too. And that's why more people have that now than the contact um, forms. So there's there's a lot of reason that's powerful for the law firms to say this much I will do. But for instance, you don't need to put a spouse's name on there or the name of their children just because you're trying to make the, the lawyer sound human. And that's that could be dangerous because of all the nutcases out there. Um, Hobbies. So, what do you do in your off time? You know, that, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. too much personal information yeah. just isn't a good thing these days. Social engineering fuel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and also you're probably giving them more information to figure out your passwords. Everyone uses their kids' names yeah. and their pets and those well, kind of things. Well, they shouldn't, so, yeah, shouldn't be, but yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> right. In point of fact, they are. You're quite right. No, but I mean, now that you're saying all that, I have seen all of this on yeah, websites where it's so yeah, much. The cell phone number, because people yes. think, oh, this guy is going to be so accessible to mm-hmm. me because this this woman's given me her personal cell phone number. I want that attorney. So I see it as a, I every single thing you listed is out there right now on this yeah. website. So yeah, more to think about. Definitely. Um, so what are the most common ways um, a firm might fail a network security assessment if they have if they have one? Well, that's, that's, that's big. Um, um, it's, it's not having any documentation. So you actually don't know what they have. You don't know what's connected. You don't know what's connected. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's one. Not, not having MFA these days is, is Mm -hmm. a a very serious one. Not having the endpoint detection responses. That's a hashtag fail right there. Having defaults. Yeah. Anything that has a default. I mean, you're going to, that's terrible. You know, you need to change any default, any default yeah. configuration from, and it doesn't matter what the device is. <laughs> right. Yeah. And re- rename things. And if there's a default password that comes with a router, whatever, I mean, that's got to change. Uh, everything should be unique to the law firm. Um, uh, and that, you know, the, the training sessions, of course, are important. One of the things um, that I see, especially in Wi-Fi networks, um, because the, the law firms have, you know, typically they'll have a, a, a guest network, but they'll also have one for, you know, for their employees to use, is they name mm-hmm. these these uh, networks to identify the firm. Oh, yeah. Say, what, you know, why, why would I want to, you know, you're a financial institution. I, I don't need to know or I shouldn't know that the Wi-Fi network I'm about ready to attack is called, you know, 
Capital One employee, right? right. Uh, it's like, oh man, that's a juicy one. I think I'll go after that. Uh, yeah. That's a good point. But like, yes. if I'm at a hotel and it's it's the World Marriott guest yep. Wi-Fi, that's reassuring to me yeah. because it's the real huh. one, right? <laughs> yes. It's authentic. Uh, okay. Oh. All right. And uh, one more question here. So we talked about chat GPT, but is there any other um, upcoming technology that you're excited about or technology that worries you? Well, we do now have the war between Google, right? Um, uh, they have their bard coming. So my, Microsoft, it, it's interesting. Oh, my, Microsoft's going to roll chat GPT into office. They've already started that. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, oh, yeah. So you, you will see that over time. It may, it, there may be a cost attached to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. That is yeah, interesting. It's, it's, you know, AI is, is going to embed a lot of things. Uh, I, okay. I, IOT devices, that's you know we could spend a whole another hour on that. That's well. What one of the most interesting questions and answers I had was I I asked uh, Chat GPT. Um, I I asked if we could end up with uh, a dystopian future um, <laughs> based on AI, um, and it it was very candid and said if we are not ethically and well controlled and whatever other words it used, but it said if we if if AI is not all that is not given to AI, yes, we could end up with a dystopian future. So, you know, to me, uh, I maybe it got that lesson from the movie Terminator. Um, right. <laughs> we all know how that turned out. But it does worry yeah. a lot of people because the commercial interest now, the economic interest uh, in these wars between the titans of tech, um, they're moving too fast. And they are not slowing down for ethics. I mean, they'll talk about ethics till they're blue in the face, but they are not slowing the development down. And I think that's worrisome. Definitely. And and John, you just mentioned IoT for those that do not know what IoT is. Can Inter you just Internet of Things. The, 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 Internet oh, of Things. These, okay. these are the, those are the devices that, you know, everyone has that we don't configure properly. Right. Um, and, that, and that, that watches us and listens all the time. terrible security. Oh, they, they don't embed uh, the security in it, right? So you, okay. you, you just yeah. plopped your Alexa on your 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 network and, and you walked in and now it's announcing that you got a notification for a delivery. Um, mm -hmm. You got you have your uh, your your ring uh, doorbell, doorbell that mm -hmm. you didn't put mm -hmm. you know two FA on, even though Ring now requires that you have two FA enabled. But th things, all these different IoT, your security camera that you left the default password on the your your, your surveillance oh, we've, camera. We've seen a lot um, of that where people are watching babies, you know, things like that. Oh, um, yeah, right. it's creepy. It's really, really creepy. And we do digital forensics as well. So we get mm -hmm. a lot of creepy stuff. Um, but people don't realize what, what they're leaving open. We've even seen a refrigerator deliver spam. You well, know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, 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 might, I might have to leave with this one, though. But for your family law, okay. family law lawyers, um, those sleep number beds they they, oh, no. they, they, connect, they connect to the internet they know when there's somebody else in the bed with you <laughs> what stop I, it John. i hate that okay okay yes John. you can only I imagine that. what divorce lawyers make of this when we give them that oh evidence. my gosh oh, wow. I, had, I had no idea i knew that there were like samsung tvs could tell who was in the room and what they were yep. watching yeah. and those kind of things okay this is making me scared of my yeah. own home yes yeah. those are all, I guess <laughs> to yes, answer yeah. your question those are all iot devices <laughs> okay. okay that's good to okay. know 
Very and, it's, and it's odd, but Sharon, you're right. They're moving so fast. But like, why do I need my washing machine connected to my cell phone? I don't, you know, I, yeah. and it, they all come with that. So it's very odd. And we forget that those are backdoors into our network. So <laughs> thank you for, for pointing that yes. out. <laughs> you're you're going to tear the okay. pants off of your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's time for us all to just, you know, be thinking about these things. So we appreciate sure. the wake up call. Um, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you so much, Sharon Nelson and John Simic for joining us today. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks. Um, And Sharon and John, if our listeners have questions, and we know that they will now, (laughs) how can they find you and all of your resources? Yeah, well, they're well. Yeah, John's going. You take this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do social media. I'm a, I'm a testifying expert. <laughs> you, you, can, you can certainly look at our website for a lot of information there. Um, that's uh, senseient.com. And uh, you, you're welcome to give them my email if they have questions. Okay, perfect. And we'll, we'll put links up. Anyone that's listening, we're going to put some links up to the articles and the resources. And, and the phone number about. as well for the company is fine. Okay. And John's cell phone number. No. Okay. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbrey. And I'm Jamie Moore. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bars podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bars Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.